Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your relationship with Christ and His Church, discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all. Hello and welcome to Living Stones. I am your co-host, Ken Hellenius, and sitting across from me in the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon, is my friend and the man who actually taught Steve Jobs everything he knew about public speaking, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Hello, Deacon. Hey, hey, Ken. Yeah, those were wonderful times with old Steve, and I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the thing is, I like that you taught him also about the black turtleneck and the jeans. I mean, the, the, whole, the whole presentation, very good. Kind of a zen approach to presenting. Yeah. Guy. You know, they yeah. used to say he had a reality distortion field. So Steve would start talking about something, and even if you were dead set opposed to it, by the time he was done working you over, you were a believer and, a, and an evangelist for whatever he wanted you to do. <laughs> So, uh, yeah. so good work. Wait, wait. Yeah, I mean, I think, you're an evangelist, but for Jesus Christ. That's right. So that's right. That's good. And uh, you know, I think the Apple's missing him now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they've, I think they've lost some of that the great innovation that they've been known I mean, for. I mean, we love, uh, you know, we love iPads and watches and what have you. But yeah, there, there's nothing as splashy as. Steve introducing the iPod or, or yeah, the iPhone like, itself. I mean, they're making know? the iPhone better. Okay, better camera, but yeah, where's but the innovation? Just, like, what's the next thing? Yeah, it's an iteration. Pass an iPhone. Right. Like, I mean, can, can I make a call with my eyes? Not yet. You know, or my mind or something like that, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, people are working on that. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the scary part. Welcome yeah. to the transhumanism show here on Living Stones. <laughs> that's right. Deacon Harold, uh, actually recording this with no equipment. Just Deacon Harold and I in your mind. Hello. Okay, I lied. Last week we we shared show 350, and I said it was the best show we've ever done. I think 351 is kicking off pretty well as well. Uh, are we really here? Or are we not? Are That's, we right. That's right. The existential questions. Yep. Uh, you know, here on Living Stones, we have had been having a wonderful conversation about the Holy Spirit. And uh, last week we were talking about different images of the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, we, we had a wonderful conversation about adoration and the importance of adoration uh, and how the Holy Spirit helps us to pray in adoration, but how even our gathering in front of the tabernacle is itself an imitation of how the Holy Spirit overshadowed Our Lady and uh, who is the Ark of the New Covenant and the living tabernacle. And so, um, so we're going to continue our conversation about the Holy Spirit, but we're going to take a little doctrinal turn on this. Yeah, yeah, we're going to take a look at the Holy Spirit in the creed in that the we creed. pray every Sunday. That's right. Yeah, let's, let's break it down Yeah, and, and uh, take a look at the Holy Spirit here. Obviously, the first uh, tenet in the creed is with the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit the Lord, the giver of life. Now, of all three persons of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, for reasons that we talked about last week, I think is the hardest one to get to know mm-hmm. because, <laughs> I mean, you can have an image of your mind as the Father. I mean, the Father has no physical being, right? But at least right. you can but we're thinking image a guy of with a father, long beard. You know, or fatherliness, you know, there's something yeah. there. And of course, Jesus, right? The Word became flesh, duh, right? But then the Holy Spirit... <laughs> It's like, okay, how do you, 
okay, the dove. I mean, but but how do you really have a relationship, right, with the Holy Spirit? But and and the first thing we hear in the creed, the Lord and Giver of Life. You know, so okay, so that relationship with the Holy Spirit starts at the beginning of our life. Mm-hmm. You know, we see in Genesis, God breathed into His nostrils the breath, the breath of life, Nishmak Ruach Kaim, and, and the key word there for the Holy Spirit is Ruach, is the breath of God, right? Which actually in Hebrew is feminine. You know, that doesn't mean mm-hmm. that. God, I mean, but remember, male and female, He created them, right? So, so I I think that that life giving breath of the Holy Spirit is feminine. Because, not saying the Holy Spirit is feminine in that sense, but that the women are the life givers and the life bearers, right? I think physically manifest that reality of God, that aspect of God mm-hmm. is, is the feminine, right? The one who bears forth and gives life, you know? And, and so a woman has a special relationship and intimacy with the Holy Spirit because she is a life giver, and the life bearer. And the Holy Spirit is a Lord and giver of life. And so this is natural, right? And that's why we talk about the Blessed Mother being overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. The Lord and giver of life connects with the one who bears life. And there's an intimacy there. And we men don't share in that. We just don't. No. You know, so there's all intrinsic. It's, always a, it's a outside of us. Yeah, it's always outside of us, which John mm-hmm. Paul II makes that point in Theology of the Body. Um, but... There's that intimacy there and that closeness and that physicalness with the Holy Spirit that women potentially obviously become a nun, you know, you're not going to have a baby, but that's not the point. The point is that by the very nature of how God created a woman, even if she never has a child, she's still a life giver and life bearer by the very nature of who she is. Right. I mean, that's, that's awesome. And so when we, we, we think about that relationship and, and the sperm hits egg and God infuses that new life with the soul. We have a person now. At that very moment, something unique never before exists. That's right. Something that unique. And, and think of all the people, billions and billions and billions of people over and every person is unique. There's not another person the same as even with twins. You know, I have twins, you know, and they, I mean, biologically, they may share the same DNA, but they're not the same. They're right. not the same. Right. Right. You know, distinct personalities. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. So right from the very beginning of our existence, there's a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. You know, and I, and I hope that this reality is more people will think about this reality, you know, with the overturning of Roe v. Wade, mm-hmm. you know, and now these decisions go back to the states. Right. Basically. Um, and what I didn't realize, Ken, maybe you can elaborate on this a little bit since we haven't really talked about Roe v. Wade, but we are talking about the Holy Spirit, the life giver. So what some legislators are trying to do now in Congress are to pass a a federal law for abortion. Yeah. So I, so I thought, exactly when Roe v. Wade was overturned, there's no federal thing for abortion, but now it goes back to the states. But now they're trying to pass a federal law to make it nationwide. So basically putting Roe back in, but not but taking it out of the courts, taking it out of the judicial process, putting it into the legislative process. Yeah. So the Supreme Court said... In their, in their decision in the Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization that there is no constitutionally guaranteed right to abortion. So that's the, uh, so they said what existed under Roe v. Wade was that the people had no opportunity to vote on the question that Roe v. Wade posited that there was a right. 
And in Dobbs v. Jackson, the the six justices said, no, there really is no constitutional right. That does not exist in there. The states or the or the federal government can legislate. They have the freedom to legislate in this area. And so that's why, you know, certain states, a number of states, uh, actually perhaps even the majority of states had trigger laws that were going to that, yeah. that kicked in once Roe was overturned. Most of those were actually very pro-life laws, laws that said no abortions after this amount of period, you know, number of weeks, no uh, laws, you know, no abortions after a heartbeat. So various, various approaches to this in, in different states. Some states, California and New York particularly, uh, and and I think also Oregon and Washington yeah, Illinois uh, too. and Illinois uh, had already had trigger laws laws that in which they guarantee abortion they're they're becoming abortion sanctuaries which even to say that is yeah. thoroughly offensive and and is horrifying because the word sanctuary should be safety and abortion is not safety in any way but uh, so there is now the freedom for states or the federal government to actually legislate. And this is something we were unable to do. The people were not able to make laws that were guaranteed to, to not be overturned by the Supreme Court uh, because the Supreme Court said under Roe that we simply couldn't legislate ourselves. Mm. Um, and now we have the ability to do so. Oh, what it okay. means is that the law that our job as people who want to support and build build and support the culture of life, our job's actually harder now because mm-hmm. now instead of lobbying in Washington to you know to overturn Roe, we have to go to all fifty states, um, even the states that have you know have strong what are considered strong pro life protections right now. Um, are not perfect, you know, uh, many states, it's like, well, no abortions after nine weeks or no abortions. We, of course, would prefer that abortion be unthinkable. And and to do so, we have to make that argument that is by supporting women and families so that they have the freedom to bear the child to birth and so that they have the support that they need as family. We need to do all these laws. We Catholics are not members of a single party. We have no home in a single party. We need to, as my director Carter Sneed says, we need to keep Catholicism weird. We do not have a home here. We're people on a journey, on a pilgrimage, and we need to build the kingdom, but we can't do so from within just one party. We actually have to work for policies that the Republicans find difficult. We have to work for policies that the Democrats find difficult. And the Green Party finds difficult and the, you know, American Solidarity Party finds difficult because we need to build laws and structures to support women and, and children. That's what we have to do. Yeah. You know, create, a, 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 you know, in the Holy Spirit, create an environment where everyone is loved and accepted. Correct. You know, no matter what circumstances uh, brought this person to being where everyone is loved and accepted. And that, that's this kind of society we should be working toward. Correct. You know, and I think cooperating with the Holy Spirit helps us to get there. So it's a very basic tenet that we pray the Lord and giver of life. So it's something to ponder now. I mean, I hope we don't pray the creed. It just passes us by. 
Right. You know, we just like, okay, here we go again. You're just saying the creed again. I mean, we need to stop and think about what we're saying. So I'm glad we're taking the time here to really reflect on the, the Holy Spirit. And again, in this first tenet of the creed, the, Holy, the, the Lord, the giver of life. Yeah. You know, I wanted to take one step back from this, though. That line the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life comes from the Nicene Creed, the Ni- Nicene Constantinopolitan Creed, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, there's also, of course, the Apostles' Creed, which is of earlier date. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Nicene Creed begins to be written in 325 at the Council of Nicaea. The Apostles' Creed predates that. And in the Apostles' Creed, which most of us will pray when we pray the rosary, mm-hmm. uh, that one is... It actually just says, after we kind of go through the the life of Christ and he descended into hell and on the third day he rose again and he will come again, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, and forgiveness. Mm-hmm. All we get is the Holy Spirit by name. We don't get any details about the Holy Spirit in the Apostles' Creed. And so the Nicene Creed reflects a years, hundreds of years, of deeper reflection and contemplation on the action of the Holy Spirit within the church and within individual believers and theologians and people who pray to and in the Holy Spirit. Yes. So what we're getting here in the creed, in the Nicene Creed, which we recite on Sundays and solemnities, is the fruit of contemplation and relationship with the Holy Spirit. And if we were to write, and like if you read the Credo of the People of God of Pope St. Paul the sixth, which he delivered in 1968, 69, you're going to see an even deeper reflection on the action of the Holy Spirit, because that was 1600 years after uh, the Nicene Creed was written. And so we continue to learn about the Holy Spirit in our lives, but that doctrine and what we learn and understand also needs to be put into action. So just wanted to take a moment to kind of point out, you know, you're praying the, the Apostles' Creed, you're really only going to name the Holy Spirit. But on Sundays and solemnities, we, we say a little bit more. The Lord and giver of life who proceeds from the Father and the Son. But I don't want to keep oh, no, that, going that's, too that's much That's good stuff. There. That's good stuff. And against this life-giving power of the Holy Spirit, we also see in John chapter 20, the night of the, upper, uh, the, night of the resurrection, the upper room, where the ten apostles were. Yes. And Jesus comes in and says, peace be with you. So there, again, the Holy Spirit, the dove, peace, right? Mm -hmm. He's not just saying peace be with you. Literally, I am peace. I am with you now. Mm -hmm. So peace be with you. And all they rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And when he he said, receive the Holy Spirit. I love that. And he breathed on them, right? There's There's only twice where God creates by breathing. Genesis uh, chapter two and here. Yeah. Where he breathed and received the Holy Spirit. And then whose sins you forgive are forgiven, whose sins you retain are retained. He gives them the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit. because, And then that's where the men come in, right? The priests. They have to be specially ordained <laughs> in order to receive the Holy Spirit so that they can forgive sins right. in, in Christ's right. name, right? So, but women don't need that because by very nature, they're life, physical life-givers and life-bearers. Um, but men need a special oof of the Holy Spirit here. <laughs> and that's what he gives them. He, he, so he, he, he breathes the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit and empowers them to forgive sins, to bring that that spiritual healing into the lives of so many people who are wounded by sin, um, who have maybe separated themselves by sin. And God does this in a very personal way. You have to go to a priest, not just any person, but to a priest. Mm-hmm. You have to confess your sins. And 
Does a priest forgive your sins? Yes, he's forgiving his sins, but Jesus is forgiving his sins. Jesus, right, right, because Jesus empowered them here in John twenty to forgive sins, and that authority has been passed on all the way down to our priests today. And we hear that in the very words of absolution, which are God, the father of mercies by his life, death, and resurrection has sent the Holy Spirit among us for the forgiveness of sins. So again, the Holy Spirit is invoked even in absolution because it's the Holy Spirit that is, it's not father Bob who's forgiving you. It's Jesus Christ, God, the father and the Holy Spirit who are forgiving you. Father Bob's pronouncing the words because he has the authority because then he mm-hmm. says, and by the authority of the church, I absolve you of your sins, mm-hmm. you know, and that authority is real. It's not just father Bob. It's the church doing what Christ Jesus told the church to do. This is a fascinating scene in John 20, right? Because we get Jesus appearing, uh, after his resurrection, we get him confirming his apostles, right? He's saying, receive the Holy Spirit. So we think of that. That's what happens to us in the sacrament of confirmation. We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And then he gives them the power of reconciliation, of confession, of forgiveness of sins. So you get really two major sacraments right here that both are animated by the Holy Spirit. And these are the tools that the church takes to the ends of the earth. Yes. Amen. Love that. Fantastic. And then we have uh first Corinthians chapter six, where Paul says, do you not know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God. Right? So mm-hmm. there's Paul affirming again that all of us by our baptism, by our confirmation, nurtured and strengthened by the Eucharist, um, we are vessels of the Holy Spirit. Temples. Each, each, every one of us temples of the Holy Spirit. And and what was the temple? The temple was a place that held the Ark of the Covenant, right? The Holy of Holies was inside the temple of glory. That's the place we go to worship. And so, you know, we we need to be mindful of the fact that we have God's presence and God's life in us, you know, and that means something. That means that we, uh, that we're called to act a certain way and to be the hands and the heart and the head of Christ in in the world today, to be vehicles of God's merciful love. So that when people like what Jesus says that they may see the good works that you do and give glory to God. Right. <laughs> right. Right. And so it's the Holy Spirit within us that helps us to do just that. That passage in first uh, Corinthians goes on to say, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Again, underscoring the importance of the incarnation of the fact that our faith is not in the head. Our faith is in the flesh. And it's the flesh, it's the literally binding the wounds of those who are hurt, literally healing the sick, caring for the widow and the orphan. This is how we glorify God in our bodies, right? Yes. Amen. It does not mean just to paint them up and, Mm -hmm. you know, get handsome tattoos or something like that. No, glorify God in your body by performing the corporal works of mercy. Corporate corporal works means fleshly works of mercy yeah and not to give in to the desires of the flesh either right so things like gluttony and pornography and things like that remembering that the body is the way we express our person Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and because that's why we have them right (laughs) um the the, so the uh, we're very corporeal beings um so it's not just a matter of fulfilling 
the, the bodily desires, they have to be married to a spiritual sense so that our bodies are just objects and we don't see other people's bodies as objects, mm-hmm. but we see them as, you know, as temples of God's Holy Spirit, as vehicles of God's love, you know, and that we respect every person with that same human dignity that, you know, the, the, the Lord condescended and, and the word became flesh. But that says something about our human bodies, and our human nature, that God will unite himself to us. Right. So that says something important. God had a body. So that says something important about our bodies. You know, so and, and, you know, we talked about this before theology of the body. The body speaks a language mm-hmm. of love and intimacy and communion. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, it's, so the, I, I, this whole reflection of the Holy Spirit is powerful because it helps us to realize that we're, that we're so much more than what society makes us out to be. You know, society says it's not a relationship with the God that defines who you are. It's, it's, um, you know, social construction, social constructs that helps define who you, what political party you with, what, what people you associate yourself with, who you hang out with. That's who defines who you are. No, a deep intimate relationship with Jesus Christ defines who you are. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, you made me think there of, you talked about the temple being the place where the Ark of the Covenant was. You know, the temple is God's physical home on earth. Last week, we were talking about the image of the Holy Spirit as wind and how, you know, God doesn't have a corporeal form in the Old Testament. God passes by as a wind, but God does have a corporeal form in the sense of the temple is God's place of interaction. That's where the people go to see God, to to worship God, and where Ezekiel has his image of the new temple, the water flowing from the side of the temple, giving life to the land comes from the temple because it's the temple where God's life flows from the, the life of God flows out to his people and out to all of the, all of the new creation in, in Ezekiel's incredible vision that we hear, of course, at, at uh, the Easter vigil, most often proclaimed, um, the temple of the Holy Spirit that is sitting right in front of me, that is Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, um, this is a physical, a point of physical encounter with God because you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. So we're no longer bound to the land, no longer bound to Temple Mount in Jerusalem, but these temples are walking around us every day. And that's a wonderful gift. Because it means we can encounter God everywhere. We can encounter God in every person we meet. Mm-hmm. That's really important to remember. That's really important to remember. I, however, am more a basilica of the Holy Spirit <laughs> until I lose a few more pounds. <laughs> so I just wanted to go ahead and acknowledge that as well. <laughs> well, basilicas are beautiful places too. That you know, they are. Like, they're blessed especially. And they have little bells and, and flags and umbrellas. <laughs> that's that's what you look for in a basilica <laughs> oh who said we don't have fun on this show um this yeah then we yeah. get to the second part of creed uh who proceeds from the father and the son who with the father and the son is adored and glorified right so mm-hmm. proceeds from the father and the son that's important because remember jesus says you know, they didn't want him to leave you know, before the ascension, they didn't want him to leave. Stay with us. He goes, I, I, I have to go. So if I can't go, you can't send the Holy Spirit. 
Right. <laughs> so, so, so obviously Jesus thinks send the Holy Spirit is something really special and really powerful, but it has to be with him and the father. That's what we said. We said proceeds. Now there is some historical issue with this phrase, right? Yes. With, with our, we would have time to get into it too deeply, but with our Orthodox brothers, uh, yes. this is over this right. filioque yes. clause here in the creed. So that's the, and the son bit. Yeah. It translates as filioque in, in Latin is, uh, gets added to the creed by, uh, the Holy father in Rome. I think it was Leo the 10th who adds, uh, uh, or it, it kind of developed over a little bit of time. But yeah, we will have to talk, when we go in depth in this, we will have to talk about the filioque. Although these days, it's not as much of a yeah, uh, burning not, issue. Right, as, exactly. You know, I, I don't see anybody yeah. slaughtering anyone over this. Yeah, I think this. believe the father and the son, or father through the son, you know, uh, right. whatever. I mean, you know, yeah. semantics now, but... Um, yeah. But it's that not a time issue. thing right. either, you know, because it's all still eternal. Yeah, all right, of these right, sorts of things, right? right? Exactly, exactly, exactly. But um, it begins with, I mean, the Holy Spirit proceeds. This is the, the the essential thing from the Father and the Son. But that second half of the sin, who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified. So the Holy Spirit is not lesser. The Holy Spirit yeah. is not in any way a subordinate part of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is God. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. The Holy Spirit is not the Son. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, we've seen this yeah, illustration, Yeah, there's a heresy right? called trientheism um, or subordinationalism where it was just that there was a hierarchy. The mm-hmm. Father is number one, mm-hmm. Son number two, and Holy Spirit is number three. And it's nope. higher, you know, it's like, you know, they're, they're subordinate to each other. Mm-hmm. You know, again, they're, they're using the language of Jesus Christ himself, right? Um, in his human nature, the father is greater than I, that, that got greater than I, that kind of thing. Right. But then they forget about the father and I are one. You know, so, I mean, so sometimes Jesus is referring to his human nature, sometimes referring to his divine nature. You have to, it's both and. Right. You know? Right. Um, so th- that's, a, that's also important to, to keep in mind as well. Yeah. The, the language that's being used. Well, we're going to have to come back to that next week yep. because, uh, we can't open that can of worms and and just get started because we actually are out of time for tonight, Deacon. But uh, we invite you to listen to the previous episodes of the show in which we've talked about other wonderful aspects of the Holy Spirit. Go to materdeiradio.com. You can also connect with us on Facebook at Living Stones Media, uh, where we invite you to, you know, become our friends and and see what we look like. See what these beautiful temples of the Holy Spirit, how they can grace your eyes. But, uh, <laughs> and that's a Living Stones Media on Facebook. Deacon, until we gather next week, might we have a blessing? May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week here on Living Stones. You've been listening to Living Stones with Ken Hellenius and Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Living Stones is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. For more information about this show, go to moderndayradio.com. That's M A T E R D E I radio.com.